Welcome to the Anifis Complex, the property design and development podcast. Let your hosts, Adam Muggleton and Robert Bean, keep you up with who is innovating and doing great work, perspective on the adjacent possible, and challenges to the status quo. Welcome to the show, Adventist Complex. I'm Robert Bean, your co-host and unofficial mediator here with my colleague, official agitator, heavy emphasis on agitator, friend and Yoda, most everything to do with buildings, Mr. Adam Muckleton. Say hello, sir, Yoda. Hello there. So today, good one today. We are so international, right? We are all <laughs> over the world. You know, we're down. So today, our guest comes from Melbourne. The reason I zeroed in on our guest today is because I followed his YouTube channel, like a crazy ex-girlfriend does. And he made a very interesting comment about the state of the art of BMS and where it's all going and where it's going wrong. So that's one of the reasons we're here. He's also a super interesting guy and a man of international mystery. That's the other reason we're here. So That's right. Our guest today has a career that's journeyed through South Africa, the United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand, and a good chunk of that time with no other than Johnson Controls. Uh, he's worn several hats, including commission engineer, design engineer, project manager, and controls consultant. Since 2017, he's been an independent building automation consultant through his company, Lifecycle Controls. Welcome to the show, Bryce Anderson. Hello. Great to be on board, guys. Thanks for having me. You're welcome, Bryce. After uh, studying electronic engineering and making your way through the British Empire, (laughs) country by country, solving DMS problems, building by building, you had an epiphany, which was interesting to me. You realized that you could have a bigger impact by moving away by solving the BMS system's in every building on the continent and started working with the BMS companies themselves. And I find that to be really interesting. Switching gears in a business plan midway through a business plan is always a scary thing. You managed to say, okay, let's do this. Let's switch it up. That's not everybody's cup of tea. Tell our listeners how you uh, got to where you were and what made you change your mind. Yeah, I guess I've had a pretty, like a unique career and I've been quite lucky in a few situations. I'll just sort of step you through a few things here. So obviously born and raised in South Africa and started in the BMS industry in sort of 1998, doing BMS commissioning for a couple of years. In South Africa, the only way out of South Africa sort of is to get a working holiday visa in the UK. So when I was 26, it's like, if I don't do something now, I'm not about to get out of here. So when I was 26, I went off to, got my two-year working holiday visa, went to London and ended up staying there for nine years. And in those nine years, I worked through being a BMS commissioning technician, a service technician, a BMS service, small projects engineer, BMS design engineer. So I've sort of had this first unique thing where I've been jumping backwards and forwards between the construction department and the service department through my career. And often with the same companies, I've been on work permits for the first sort of 15 years of my career I was on different types of work permits. And that's quite a unique thing because I think it's rare that BMS people will come from the construction department and then into service or from service into construction. They're two very isolated things. So I think my first thing to help me is having a good understanding of how to install this thing and how to maintain it. So when I was a design engineer, I'd often try and incorporate, like I'm designing this thing, how am I going to maintain it for 20 years? Like, you know, try to keep those sensors at our level and reduce like getting up ladders and sort of things. So I had that sort of first unique thing. And then I wanted to come to Australia. So in 2010, I came to Australia. Interesting story. I was in London and we just got our British passports for the family. Like I got the British passports, the African passport. You're gone. Backup plan was sorted out. <laughs> so I started trying to come to Australia and I had a couple of interviews and I had an interview on a, th- a Tuesday night and a Thursday night with Johnson Controls. And the last question they sort of said to me was, look, we, we want to meet you face to face. 
And I was like, who's paying for that? So Johnson's paid for me to have a three-day interview from London to Melbourne. I flew over, flights, accommodation, car hire, everything for three wow. days. And the third day, they said, look, we really like you. Why don't you come and work for us? And your first task, your first deliverable as a project manager is to be back here working in six weeks. And they paid for shipping containers, flights, visas, three months accommodation, a completely paid for relocation. And that's how I got into Australia. So I worked for them for about four years of MS project manager and designer. And I, that was that took me up to about 2014. But that's when I was sort of like, after 15 years of working in construction, like that will wear anybody down, right? <laughs> after 15 years in three regions, I was like, man, I don't want to do it like this anymore because I had got to a point where I just figured that no matter how well you project manage the delivery and reduce these risks and how well you design the BMS, you still wouldn't have a good outcome because all the other stakeholders, your customer, the mechanical contractor, and their customer, the head contractor, they don't have a long-term investment in the building. You know, they're out in two or three years. They're not there for 20 years. And that used to cause me big problems because my customer and their customer just wanted to maximize their revenue or more like reduce their losses over a two or three year time period, get out unscathed and didn't care at all about 20 years. That was frustrating me to death. So I wanted to sort of move up the food chain and try and get out of the BMS contracting. So here in Melbourne, there's a, a tier one all services consultancy called Norman, Disney and Young. There's like a hundred engineers in the Melbourne office, mechanical, electrical, fire, hydraulic, security, acoustic, sustainability, the whole thing. And they had a vacancy for an independent commissioning agent. And I went to this interview. I didn't want to really be an independent commissioning agent. And the person that was interviewing me was one of the directors, one of the owners. And I'd done some like stalking and I'd sort of learned about his background. And he actually knew some of the companies I worked with in London. I had an angle, right? And I basically, in the middle of the interview, I pitched to him that it'd be much better off if he gave me a job as a BMS consultant to work in their office and sort of like cover up on all this stuff. And he liked the idea. And they created a role that didn't exist in the Melbourne office. There were wow. some BMS consultants in Sydney, but not in Melbourne. So I had this sort of three-year best job in the world because like, you know, consulting is pretty easy compared to contracting. A consultant, you sort of, <laughs> in consulting, you've got to get the concept right. The concept's got to be right, but it doesn't have to be quite right. The contractors will make the thing work, right? So it was a great job. And these mechanical engineers used to always complain about how busy they are. And I'm like, you don't know what busy is. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> building the thing is hard, right? So from 2014, when I started doing BMS consulting, that's when everything changed for me because now all of a sudden, I had this visibility that no one else has. Now I was working on jobs with Honeywell, Siemens, Schneider, Johnson's, Allerton, EZIO, Distech, Trium Niagara, Inertech, Automated Logic, like the whole thing, right? I'm just looking at all of this stuff and thinking, you know what? Everybody has the same problems. Everyone has the exact same problems because most people don't see that. Most people don't see the whole picture. And I also now had like direct access to customers. Like what do they want? What's actually causing them problems? And I started to realize that, you know, BMS companies, we work very hard to build the BMS, maintain the BMS and upgrade it. We completely focus on creating the thing, installing it, maintaining it and upgrading it. But we don't actually use it to its maximum capability. Like we always stop short of producing something that's actually amazing. We just stop short all the time. So after three years of doing that, and like, you know, it was great. I was like writing specifications on billion dollar projects. Like I had exposure that no one gets that exposure as a BMS person. And then at about 2017, I was thinking, you know, like 
I want to try and like solve some of these problems. But when you work for a company, you've obviously got to earn money for them and do the, like follow the business model. I wanted to do like crazy things. You know what I mean? Like things that probably won't work. So then I resigned and started my own business. So from 2017 till now, I've just have like living the dream. You know what I mean? Like this year, I'm earning almost no money this year because I've just sort of quit consulting and I'm focusing on investing my time in building actual solutions to problems, training courses, digital products, coaching and mentoring type stuff. When you work for a company, you can't say to your boss, hey, can I have a six month break? You know, <laughs> I'm going to go try and build this thing. I'm like, no, you get your head down and you finish those jobs, right? Be billable. Right. <laughs> yes, I'm sort of, that's, that's where I am right now. I'm just sort of working through like, how do we actually solve this problem? Because people don't try yeah. to solve problems. You know what I mean? Like, the, the old, like, I think we discussed once before, Adam, like, we get to the commissioning phase and the project manager is surprised yeah. that the commissioning got compressed from three months to three weeks. Like, oh my gosh, it just compressed. The comm- like, we know it's going to happen. Like, do something about it. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, that's my whole little journey. Like, had a, quite a few unique opportunities along the way. But absolutely, like, after 15 years of working with BMS companies, I thought I was a hero. I was a good project manager. I was a good design engineer. I could write software code. I could build servers and commission BMS. I knew all that stuff. And after I was a hero and I got into consulting, I'm like, oh my gosh, like those things are not actually important. It's not important. Everyone today. Do you know what? That was really interesting, something you just said. I'm living a dream. I haven't earned any money this year. (laughs) (laughs) No, like that's going to change. Like make a mistake. Like I'm investing some time now to build something that I will be rich hopefully one day. (laughs) But the other other key thing was obviously, Robert, you sort of touched on something there in the intro was that from 2014, like every other BMS consultant, I was working for building owners, writing BMS specifications, doing upgrades, energy management systems, building analytics, like solving their problems. So building owner and FM, facility manager, look, brass got a problem here. How do I restructure this maintenance contract to align with technology? How do I do that? Okay, let's work it out. So I was supporting building owners, facility managers, and also sub-consulting to mechanical consultants. So I'm client side of the fence, like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And just a couple of years ago, I was thinking, you know what? Like no one is helping the BMS companies. Like a BMS company can't go to an independent person given $2,000 to solve a specific problem. They don't have those people to go to. There's no mm-hmm. option for that. So like a year ago, as you're sort of touching on there, I sort of stepped over the fence and I'm now like a BMS consultant providing you know business-to-business consulting to BMS companies. And that's what I'm trying to build. But the stuff up was that it's a whole new customer. So I'm basically like starting a new business. I've got a different customer to attract and find solutions for. So other day I'll see you thinking like, you know, I've spent all this time creating this BMS consultancy serving building owners and got to a point where basically I didn't do no marketing. Like these building owners will come to me like every two weeks. Can you do a job? Can you do it? And I just like, no, no, no. Yes. No, no. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. I'll do that. No. So that's what's been happening. Now I've got a whole new customer, BMS companies who aren't used to having someone help them. So I've got this like interesting little challenge to build up this new little business with a different customer that has different pain points. That's the short version of my story. (laughs) Just for our North American listeners, so BMS, Building Management System, outside of North America, there is a market outside of North America, just saying, right? It's called it's BMS. It's completely different, actually, in other parts of the world. Agreed. But in yeah. North America, what you're talking about is the BAS, Building Automation System. So just so they're both the same thing, just for if anyone's wondering. Yeah. Okay, let's get, let's get into this. So BMS. Yeah, I mean, what I love about this, 
in many ways, it's almost a parallel path to my own career. When when I retired my engineering practice, we were doing, this is going back many, many years ago, actually, another business that I had. When I sold that business, then it became about teaching other businesses what we had learned. And it really, we created our own role. We made, we we found a niche that needed to be resolved and we created it. And from that point on, people came. It was, you know, you build it, they will come type of stuff. But that takes kahunas. That takes uh, ovaries and, and uh, testicles well, to do that. It's, you know, it's, it is. Not, it's not for everybody. And so like for our listeners, you know, they're, when you're a, like for our students, for example, sitting in school, wondering what the hell you're going to do with your life. There will come a time, as it came in your time, Bryce, where you have to realize, you know what, I'm traveling down this path, but there's something missing. And to be able to say, okay, I'm going to take a detour here and see where it goes. And then all of a sudden you discover a completely new business. When I first went on my own, I know we sort of gained down a rabbit hole here, but when I first went on my own, I was sort of like, you know, I was just doing consulting work and I wanted to earn some sort of passive income or whatever it was, you know, and I I remember thinking like, oh, you know, like in our industry, it's this and that, and it's, this is the problems. But when you actually work for yourself, like your eyes open up to opportunities. Like every month I think of a, an amazing idea for a business. I write it down. Like, it's just so funny that when you, when you work for a company and you're focused on project managing projects or designing projects, this is what you do, right? And you're doing this job, you do it well and you deal with problems. But when you have your own business, eyes open up to things you just never thought possible. Like, when you start doing different, you try this, oh, that didn't work. You didn't work. Oh, that, that works great. So yeah, like it's pretty fun. BMS is a bit like commissioning, right? No one sort of is doing, finishing their high school and thinking, you know what? I'm going to be a BMS engineer. So nobody <laughs> ever, right? This is one of those jobs you sort of trip up and fall into, right? So there is a scarcity, a skill shortage and scarcity issue like no other probably in BMS, right? Because you've got to understand building automation. You've got to understand building code. You got to be pretty good on a keyboard. You got to understand building systems and engineering. That's a pretty overlapping skill set. I mean, I can tell you what in the jurisdictions I work in, a good BMS engineer is really hard to find. What's that like where you are right now? What's the state of the market down there? It's the same as that or worse in Australia. They used to be like, we can't find good people. That's what it used to be. Now it's, we just can't find anybody. Like we'll take anybody. You know what I mean? So we're not even looking for good people anymore. We're just looking for anybody. Yeah. The big we have in, in Australia is that I think that we're about 10 years ahead of the rest of the world on this technology roadmap, energy efficiency, building ratings stuff, right? Right. Good BMS people in Australia have a lot of options to go work somewhere else. Yeah. And the technology industry, mm. they draw their resource pool from the BMS industry. So if you're a half good person, technology companies will snap you up. And there's a new technology company coming along like every month. So yeah. a lot of good people are going to technology companies. Now in the, in North America, let's say you're not quite there yet, but you will be there. Like, you know what I mean? Like in a few years, that'll start happening. So we have people that are leaving the BMS industry and going to technology industry. We've got a, quite a few people that are leaving the BMS to go client side. They're working for a facility manager or they're working for a building owner in their technology or sustainability group. We also have a situation here where some of the tier one mechanical contractors are engaging BMS engineers to help them deliver these projects, to help better manage the BMS contractor. That's a good move. So when I was a young person, like 20 years ago, you either worked for the manufacturers or you didn't work for anybody. So yeah. nowadays there's just so many options. So it's really hard to retain people because they have options for more money and a much easier job. So in North America, where you say you're having a skill shortage, which you do, 
that's only going to get worse in time as the technology industry gets more traction. Because with Australia, our big key thing was that more than 10 years ago, the government legislated building energy efficiency ratings. So buildings were incentivized to spend money to improve the energy efficiency rating, attract higher profile tenants and earn higher rents. So in Australia, we don't care too much about the return on investment of like BMS control strategy optimization because we don't care what the return on investment is. We have to get the five-star rating. The building owner will say to you, I don't care what you do. I don't care what it costs. I have to have a five-star rating. I want to attract those tenants on that side of the city. And when you have the five-star rating, you need to retain that. So I know, I think North America, you're starting to do some legislation around this, but once that gets enforced and gets going, building owners will start to spend money on stuff. And then, you know, things will change. I think you guys still have this thing where I'll give you $20,000, but what's the return on investment? Two or three years, five years. We don't have that problem here. We don't discuss that. We have to do something, anything like pull the facade down, rebuild it. I've got to have the energy efficiency rating. So yeah, we have a massive shortage of engineers and that's only going to get worse with time. Not just because there's less people coming in, but because technology is creating a different career path for ambitious BMS people. It's a double whammy, right? There's lots of skilled people retiring and the people in and young have way more options, right? So it's a double yeah, like there's, there's, there's big problems there. Yeah. Well, when, think, when we've had guests on before that have, particularly from the commissioning side, Adam, I think you'd agree with this, that a lot of them have diversity in their tool mm-hmm. belt. Like they have building systems, they have mechanical systems, electrical systems, they have a lot of systems knowledge, which makes them incredibly valuable in the, in the building management system because they understand all of the different uh, components. But a lot of those individuals, they're not exactly weren't born yesterday. Like these are people that have been through the trenches and have developed this knowledge over decades of experience. Mm. And those people are incredibly valuable. And unfortunately, many of them are, as you said, retiring. Like we, we see a lot of those people leaving the industry for what either they're just they're done, like they're retired or they're just getting out or they're looking at other opportunities. We are starting to see that here, for sure. Yeah, the other th- also other sort of side issue is that when we were younger, what happened was you came through the tool. So you were first a commissioning technician or a service technician. You got promoted into like an account manager role or a design engineer role or a project manager. You came through the tools. Nowadays, what happens in Australia is that it's cheaper to get people straight out of university into the office to do design and software program engineering. So what happens a lot now is that we have people that are that are doing some design work and are writing software code that never came through the tools. They don't know what a pressure switch actually looks like or a pressure transmitter. Mm -hmm. They don't know that side. So like, it's not just that we have less people coming in and we have more people leaving this generational thing. We also are not training people the same way we used to. When I was a young engineer, I was living in London. I'd get in my car, drive to Manchester and spend five days in a hospital, so five days in a hotel. (laughs) And on a five-day in-person training course at a dedicated training center with a dedicated trainer learning how to program one controller, just one controller, five days. And while you were there, you weren't just learning how to do PID loops and stuff. The trainer was teaching you like life skills about projects and issues. So you learned other things around the sides of that. Yeah. And like nowadays, that five-day in-person course is probably a two-day recorded webinar and a training manual. Read this. So we're actually like sort of, we're killing ourselves on multiple fronts, multiple fronts. We're causing problems. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like I have this little idea that 
I just like, this is a long, a long story, but just to touch us for like two or three minutes. If you think about how 20, 30 years ago, the BMS contractor, they were the technology provider yep. in buildings. And as more things came into the building, like network connections to chillers and boilers and you know, generators and lighting control systems and fire panels and UPSs, we connected them to the BMS because the BMS was the technology provider. But through 20 years of poor performance, we've been giving things away. Like we messed up energy management systems, gave that to technology, cloud. Messed up analytics, gave that to cloud. Not doing a great job of energy efficiency, control strategy optimization. Now there's machine learning stuff happening in the cloud. We're about to give that away. Right. Because of a very bad job of our network design, as we're adding hundreds of things into the network, BMS companies didn't employ networking engineers to design fit-for-purpose networks. We didn't do that. So now the integrated communications network that we're seeing in buildings has been given to electrical to install because they don't trust us. So we gave away networks. All this third-party monitoring, the generator, the fire panel, lighting control systems, if the network is by a specialist company and the virtual servers are by a specialist company, why would you connect the third-party monitoring into the BMS? You wouldn't. You'd go straight into that Ethernet network to this integration platform in the data warehouse. So if we continue with the path we're on, the BMS will circle back to just being the HVAC controls contractor. Chiller staging, boiler staging, temperature control, pressure control, because we're giving things away every two or three years. So this whole shortage of people, it's going to make that worse. So we're getting dumber and dumber and dumber, sort of, sorry about, I said that, but (laughs) we're going to circle back to the days of pneumatic controls and standalone controls where the BMS company provides the HVAC control system, network is by somebody else, virtual servers by somebody else, visualization by a specialist company, Machine learning, artificial intelligence, fault detection, like, so all these things are coming to a head. And I think like we're in, it's like a crossroads right now that if we don't sort our problems out, we're going to lose the whole thing anyway. Like, there's a lack of R and D there. There's a lack of strategy there, right? Well, sort of like I think like over the last 20 years, our, our BMS products have evolved, like, you know, better controllers and community, whatever yeah. they are, like better stuff, right? So our hardware is progressing. And you could maybe say our software is progressing as we have, you know, BMS companies can do energy management systems, they can do building analytics, they can do all these things. So the technology in the BMS, which is different to the technology in the cloud, but our BMS technology, hardware and software has progressed, but the way we do things hasn't changed. Like that's savage. We still maintain BMS systems exactly the same way as we did when we had no BMS just walking around looking for broken things. Walk up to the AHU. Is the valve working? Yes. Is the actuator working? Yes. Is walk next one? The next, like, are you serious? There's a server there with graphics on it, alarms, trends, and reports. Go sit there rather. Don't go there. So we construct buildings wow. exactly the same way as we constructed them 30 years ago. The process of building a building hasn't changed. Everything else has changed. How do you layer technology onto a building, but don't change the way you build the building? Like, I think our BMS technology, hardware, and software has evolved like we do stuff, right? But just BMS companies haven't changed the way that they do business. So they're in danger, basically, of becoming extinct or just being degraded. Is what and they become extinct, yes. Wait till like Elon Musk or Google works out that you can save energy in buildings and you can save energy in buildings and you can influence peak demand management with the grid and discharging car batteries. Like once they connect those things together, they're going to come after us, those clever companies. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, the BMS is a gold mine. But I had a really interesting meeting last week when I was down in New York. 
talking about the new JP Morgan skyscrapers going up there. So Willow, the smart building technology, which is a Microsoft sort of like they're tied in with Microsoft a bit, I think. I mm. could be talking about my answer, but smart building uh, software platform called Willow, and the building's being designed to be a smart building from the get go, right? So everything's being done in Revit. All the tagging's could be done, and then the whole question's coming up of how do we make sure as equipment's bought, the tagging gets updated. The, the on-site team with the actual installed data coming back, how does that get in? So this whole thing's being thought out now. But who's going to run that building in the day? Willow, not the BMS contractor. Oh, I did not, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. But like yeah. when you saw that little story there, that little story you said there, which we've we've tested that to death in Australia, that yeah. that exact thing. And the problem is that. Right now, we can't get the BMS installed and commissioned by handover. So how do you build that whole database in the cloud or the visualization? It can't happen. It has to happen after handover. But what happens is the developer says, we'll have all this smart stuff, but I want it done by handover. It's not possible to do that. You know what I mean? We, we've either got to, we've got to design and build the BMS differently in a way that that's already, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. the issue with technology is that we can try and close those gaps that you spoke about there and solve problems. But unless we build the building differently, it is hard enough getting a sensor on a wall and a valve in a pipe. That's hard enough by handover, right? How do you layer on like a million dollar technology platform on top of that? Like, well, it's interesting because we've talked to people on the show again about twins, right? And it's almost like the twin, the digital twin should be built before the building. Everything ran through the twin, like all the systems, checks, balances. And then once that's proven to run as imagined by the engineers, then you actually build the actual building. Yeah, maybe. Well, at least that meets the idea of doing something different, whatever that different thing is. It's almost like I had this idea once was that why don't we change the requirements of practical completion? So at practical completion, here are the new set of rules. The BMS has to be like point-to-point -point tested, controllers installed, and then that whole technology piece and even BMS tuning and optimization, all that piece gets delivered in a, another bucket of money in the 12-month warranty period. Everyone's buggered off yeah. and the doors are closed and everything's done. That would be the one way of trying to do it. But if the deliverable is that the technology is finished at handover, that's not possible. Oh, I've never seen that in 40 years of work. Right, this yeah. is great. The, the spec asks for it, it never gets delivered that way. So, yeah, that, I agree with you. Because the digital twin is the way it's all going to evolve. But there's still this issue of you start with a design model, right? And it's all tagged up and you know, manufacturer tagging comes in and it goes to a contractor, right? That model gets passed on. Contractor starts populating it with the stuff they buy. The commissioning and testing team start populating it with what they find. But you still got this data rationalization that has to go on, right? You've got, to, you've got to reconcile the design tag in with the, and data with the purchased equipment with the commission systems before you hand that over at the end, right? Or yeah. before you hand it over at the end of 12 months, defects liability period. The quality of, because what the digital twin and the owner wants is a fully validated as built situation represented in that digital twin, right? And, and so what are the inputs to that? The design inputs, the construction and purchasing inputs and the commissioning inputs, right? Because once that is set and done, then you can start doing the uh, smart evaluations, the data analytics, analytics, and tuning and tuning and tuning, right? Because the theory is, does a building performance have to do that or can it over time actually improve with the right management? That's the dream, right? This is the Elysium. I, I don't know if, if God could do that. 
Apologies for any religious people in it. Like, like that's because he's got a one good How are you going to do it? So, yeah, I can describe the dream. Delivering it is something else, right? The edifice complex will continue in just a moment. Are you struggling with paperwork, spreadsheet overload, and project management? Then Blue Rhythm is the solution to help you. Streamline your commissioning and project management process. Go paperless, increase efficiency, and save money. Blue Rhythm is commissioning and project management software by practitioners for practitioners. Adapting to your workflows and processes and doing things your way. Blue Rhythm provides painless and fast onboarding by bringing your existing workflows, forms, checklists, and issues logs into Blue Rhythm for you. You can use their pre-built templates to customize your commissioning workflows. And Blue Rhythm can fully handle the transition from your current software platform. Blue Rhythm is secure, scalable, and reliable, backed by amazing support, and accessible 24-7 on any Windows, iOS, or Android device. Why are you still using paper and hard-to-control spreadsheets? Start your free Blue Rhythm account today at bluerhythm.com. And now, back to the show. There's a whole lot of little roadmap, like little roadblocks that can be fixed. I'll give you a quick example. One of the things that stops a BMS company from having that data ready in time for the technology to integrate to is that when the BMS company is trying to do, for example, develop their control sequences, their control strategy design, they want to develop their control strategy design and the information that they need from the other trades isn't available yet. So the BMS company says, I want to design this chiller control system, but I don't have the answer to these five questions. So I can't move on. So what happens is BMS companies tend to send off a whole bunch of RFIs and they wait and they're waiting. They're waiting for responses to come back. That might never come back actually, because that other trade doesn't care about the BMS. Like a simple thing to do is, we know what the inputs and outputs are, right? But we don't know what the control strategy is not approved yet. The BMS company doesn't want to build the thing before it's approved and then redo it again. So just get all your controllers and configure all the inputs and outputs for your controllers, the temperature sensor, CO2 sensor, like, you know, the valves. Configure the inputs. We know that quite early. Configure the inputs and then export that database. So you could give the technology company the database thing like six months early. And then while yeah. you're messing around with the control strategies and workshops and backwards and forwards and this chiller and that chiller, that detail comes later. But you're going to give the technology company like a six-month head start on pulling all the inputs and outputs and creating some of their visualization stuff and tagging, like you say, mapping, all that can be done. Yeah. But at the moment now, because the traditional method from 100 years ago was when you want to know something, you send an RFI contractually and then you wait. But we can't wait. So there's different ways to sort of carve this up to help other people move forward while you're messing around with the control strategy because the technology company might not need those. They don't need the PID loops programmed yet. They just need the inputs, outputs, maybe the set points pre-configured. So there are lots of little ways to do little things that actually don't need much, aren't hard to do. They will help this. The problem is that the people up here, they don't know about what those problems are or they know what the problem is, they don't know how to fix it. That's like, that's the problem. Well, that would take a huge amount of, not a huge amount, but it would take coordination with with the engineers, electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, plumbing engineers. Everybody that's specifying those data points has to be involved in putting together that list. Like the other problem I've saw recently was, do you guys have this integrated communications network? Yeah, you know what that means? The integrated communication, it's one network for all services, right? right? Yeah. So what used to happen was the BMS company, they were the network provider, right? They were the technology provider. So that BMS engineer knew that to coordinate 
the protocol type for the chiller and go talk to the lighting control system company, the fire contractor, the generator, electric meters. So the BMS company, even if you don't tell them to do it, they would kind of coordinate all those interfaces, all the protocols, cable types, get it all installed. As soon as we went to the integrated communications network and the mechanical specification says, and like an integrated communications network shall be provided by electrical, the BMS company is not providing. As soon as that happened, the BMS company said, okay, I don't have to coordinate any of that. It's not my network. That's correct. But the electrical contractor and the electrical consultant, they don't realize there's a whole bunch of hydraulic panels in basement three that need Ethernet cables. They don't realize that those chillers need backnet MSTP, screen cable, not CAT6, and it's a triple hard plant room. You've got to run a containment down. So there's always little hiccups where they don't know that. So the wrong cables go everywhere. I did witnessing a few years ago. I'm sitting to a BMS witnessing, client side, I'm in there. I said, BMS company, show me the hydraulic monitoring. He opens his page up, there's a table, all question marks. I said, why are those points offline? No one told the hydraulic contract they needed a network. And the, the hydraulic contractor doesn't even know what protocol means. They don't understand networks and backnets and mapping tables and they don't know those things. So yep. they don't know that they've got to like be proactive to coordinate that. A fire panel person buys a fire panel off the shelf. You ask them what protocol you want, backnet MSTP, backnet IP, Modbus, RT, like, oh my gosh, what are you talking about? Kind of a mapping table. What's a mapping table? So a lot of this moving forward with technology, which is positive, good stuff, it's good stuff, but it's creating holes everywhere. They're not being plugged. So if you pull the BMS contractor out of something, they're like, wow. So your role sort of evolves into being an integrator, technology integrator almost, right? How'd you get? Yeah, well, that, that, I guess that's the master system integrator that everyone keeps yeah. talking about. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the yeah, that's this magic wizard everyone's trying to find, right? <laughs> get from master systems integrator, read Gandalf the Grey. Let's be positive for a second. Yeah. The one thing I love about the BMS industry is it's a thousand things to fix everywhere. Like you can provide massive value. Can you imagine if we want to get into the electric vehicle industry? Oh my gosh, like we're going to build electric cars better than Tesla and Toyota and Ford. That's a hard industry. Food ordering stuff, when to open up a coffee shop, all these industries are so like, you know, food deliveries, Uber, those are hard. Like with us, opportunities, endless. Oh yeah. We can be heroes. You just look anywhere right. like this. It's a problem. Like, we have no shortage of opportunity to be heroes. And that's what I love about this industry. The chance of you being unemployed, Bryce, are less than zero, I would say. <laughs> I'm unemployed right now. I'm not earning any money, remember. <laughs> but I just want to step back to your time at Norman Disney. So in my mind, now remember, I'm old, right? So I'm an old-fashioned dude. The design engineer is responsible for writing the systems of operation, the sequences of operations, and a points list, right? He designs a system or she. Just take a VAV system, right? Not they design really, a VAV system, right? Yeah. It'll have different modes of operation. So there's a sequence of operations to be written for each one of them. It needs to be in a spec, right? There's a points list. Not right? really. And that goes out to bid. Now, the only firm I've ever worked for that did that properly was Arup. They produced a control spec and they wrote a sequence of operation for every system and a points list. And their jobs tended to go a bit better because of that. Do you see that? So it's funny, even in Australia, I think Arup is one of the few consultants that actually will issue a dedicated BMS specification. Yeah. So that whatever you said there in, in, I'm guessing, London is similar here. There's a, there's a lot of problems to unpack there. The first one is that I don't know how your design and construct model works where you live, right? But you know, here, the building owner or the developer or the client decides that they're not going to engage the consultant for 100% design. They're going to pay them for 30% of the design and then transfer 70% of the design to the trades to finish off. Okay. Yeah. 
It's the first thing. So wow. when let's take one step back. Consultants are also affected by the lowest price wins. Yes. So the owner goes into tender for consultants, shoes at the lowest price. So over many years, consultancies, just like BMS companies and electrical contracts, have been reducing the fat in their business and their offer to get their price down. Yeah. So when that consultancy wins the job, first thing of all is they don't have tons of money in because it's the nature of tendering, right? So all these things that BMS companies cry about, the lowest price wins, mechanical consultants, they have the same challenge. That's the first problem. Yeah. Second problem is they were only designed to do 30% of the design or 50% of the design, whatever it is. So on the schematic, it just shows a box called Chiller One because they're not being paid to actually further yeah. develop the design of that pipework arrangement. And all that sort of reduction of available fees is filtering down to less important things like the BMS because a mechanical consultant's BMS is not their, their strength, of course, right? Yeah. So I'm sitting in the office there and I'm watching mechanical engineers and they are flat out working themselves to death to get the specification out on Friday. The spec mechanical specification, the equipment schedules, all the coordination stuff, blah, 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 schematics, short, hot, flat out. Do you think they're going to stop and work on the BMS and not get mechanical out the door? Uh -huh. They're not going to do that. They've got to get mechanical out the door. They've got to get the schematic done. So consultancies are not doing points lists. They're not really paid to do it. Uh, not on that design and build model. You know what like, annoys me is that BMS companies, and I'm a, I'm a, first of all, I'm a BMS person, so I'm on their side actually, right? But the BMS engineer complains, oh, like the consultant didn't put the VAV temperature sensors on the drawings. Oh, they didn't do that. They're not paid to do that. That's your responsibility. Your 70% design is to go and do that design. BMS companies are supposed to be doing a portion of the consultant's job. They're supposed to be doing that. What we're doing is, we get this wishy-washy 30% mm. design. It's not the consultant's fault. They were not paid to do a property. They were paid to do a little piece of it. In fact, I like to use the word mechanical consultants are paid to provide, to create an intent, a design intent. Build beams, VAVs, has the intent. The trades are supposed to further develop that. But wow. BMS companies are doing their design and building their design completely off the intent, which is not right. There's like a hundred hours of stuff missing there in between those two things, right? So the mechanical specification is not right. You know what I do when I'm reviewing BMS designs? Sometimes I'm like client side, right? And the independent commissioning agent will engage me to do the BMS design. Yeah. I'm silent. I don't sign my name anywhere. So they don't know I'm doing these designs. I get the BMS design and I, I look at it and I get the specification by another company. And I look at it. If I see that the points list in the specification is the same as the points list in the BMS design, alarm bells go off. <laughs> yeah. But everyone else thinks that's great. The mechanical song says, oh, I love these BMS guys. They're, they're doing exactly what we asked them to do. However, that's not right. Those 10 hydraulic points, they're not in that panel. Go, it wasn't coordinated. Uh. So like when Designer Construct came through, BMS companies should have changed how they, you know, with mechanical, sorry guys, I'm getting all over the place here. With so mechanical in Australia, what happens in mechanical is, the mechanical consultant puts together the mechanical design intent. Three chillers and one of them is a low, low chiller. In Australia, mechanical consultancy, uh, sorry, mechanical contractors, tier one mechanical contractors have their own engineers in the sales phase. They redo the whole design. They spend like a hundred hours. They redo the design in the tender phase and the mechanical's tender submission says, we're only providing two chillers, not three. And we're not having a low, low chiller. We're having a big buffer tank. Because we've worked out if we can reduce the outside air and we can do this and this and this. We don't need those chillers. And the mechanical wins that project 
on a completely different design, design and construct. So you know what I'm saying? Sort of thing. Right? Less chillers, cheaper yeah, price. So the mechanical contractor invested a lot of money in their tender phase that they might not even win, right? To come up with a, a more accurate, more fit for purpose design, a cheaper design that, by the way, the client liked that idea. The client saved some money on that mechanical design. BMS should be doing the same thing. The BMS, BMS in the sales phase, they should look at the design intent, produce their own design and do work in the tender phase and submit this offer and says, we're not doing it like the consultant said, we're doing it like this. It's cheaper. It's using newer technology that consultants know about. It's fit for purpose. It meets the Australian standards, the building code. It's not exactly like that. I think it's cheeky that a mechanical consultant rejects a BMS contractor's design submission. How do you do that? Your mechanical design was an intent. It wasn't coordinated. It's not actually completely right. It's fit for purpose as an intent. Like a if a mechanical consultant had rejected my design, I'd be saying, you are not qualified to reject my design. I'm Bryce Anderson. Like and subscribe. <laughs> I think you'd have a problem with that. <laughs> it makes you wonder what is the point of the mechanical designer. Why don't yeah, absolutely. firms just vertically integrate and just do a total package? Well, that's where this 100% design and construct comes along because there are some jobs that are 100% design and construct, which means that the mechanical, the consultant writes what we call a concept design. It's not a specification. It's yeah, a it's concept design. Aspect. It's like a report. It's a report. And the trades do the 100% of the design. Okay. Now, there are still issues with that. But sorry, Adam, you know what we need? Listen here, Adam, like you just process that thought for a second. I'm just throwing yeah. this in here. What we desperately need are BMS consultants. If we had two or three BMS specialist consultants in every big city in the world, like that's a big, like when I worked at Norman Disney and Young, that's what my job was, right? Mechanicals flat out doing BMS, mechanical designs, electrical, five. My job was to spend like 40, 50, 100 hours doing the BMS part of the design. So I'd walk across to electrical. Hey man, what's happening? How many electric meters do you have? They would say, I don't know. They don't count them like that. Like on the electrical schematics is a type one schematic. It's a distribution board with load shedding, two contactors, two meters. Type 2B, type 3. Like they have all the drawings that show the meters, but they don't specifically count the meters because they don't need to know that. So I'd go sit out electrical. I'd count up all the electric meters, put them in the specification. I'd go off to um, downstairs to Jeremy, the fire engineer. Listen, the fire panel, right? Where's it going to be? Ground for how many? Two. Okay. Let's agree the points. And then I would type in the exact same points list in a specific, in the mechanical specification, the exact same points list was copied and pasted into electrical, hydraulic, fire, security, lifts. I got the vertical transport engineer. Hey man, what's happening? Like how many lifts you have? Five. Where are they? Okay. Where can I pick up the vault free contacts? Can it be a network connection? No, it can't. It has to be low level. I write it all up. So I used to just spend like a lot of time coordinating all of that and the spec would go out like bulletproof. Like I spent yeah, like days and days and days writing out the control yeah. strategies. Like that's how things happen. Like that's what the BMS industry is crying for. BMS companies are crying for a specification <laughs> that they can accurately price against. I had a meeting the other day with a mechanical consultant and they were saying like, Bryce, what's your view on if we should provide a points list or not? That's what they asked me. I said, you have to provide a points list. <laughs> and they don't want to provide a points list because if they do provide a points list and they're tied into that, they make a mistake. They're liable right. for that, right? I'm right, saying right. same. I'm saying the risk of not having the points list is 10 times higher than the risk of making a few mistakes. You say, provide a network connection to the generator. That's it. No points list. BMS company integrates. There's five points there. We should have 20 or 30 points there. 
your network connection to the chiller, how many points they build two points, we need 10 points. So you've got to have a points list. And if the issue is then, because here's another little thing now that I'm just thinking about this, design and construct, that model works for other trades. Here's the chiller, it's a thousand kilowatts, it sits there somewhere. It's probably a 200 millimeter pipe, I don't know. With the BMS, you can't design and construct the BMS, it's got to be 100%. You can't give a 30% points list, you've got to give a 100% points list. You can't write out 30% control strategies, you've got to write out 100% control strategies. It's got to be complete. So this design and construct model that works for a mechanical, electrical, and hydraulics, it doesn't work for BMS. BMS design has to be 100%. If you don't ask for a thermal meter, a BTU meter, you don't get one. Yeah. If you don't ask for a magnetic flow meter on the chiller, you don't get one. Right. Like, so we need, like, I've got this idea next, I know we're not marketing here, guys, but I've got this idea about creating a training course that trains BMS engineers how to have their own business and be a, an independent consultant like I am. Like, we need that. If we had a, a thousand BMS consultants getting injected into the industry worldwide, lots of problems would go away immediately. Not big problems, but some problems would go away immediately. It's a, it's a, it's a cost issue, right? Who, who eats that cost is the issue. I okay, let me pause there because you just said a very clever thing there. Yeah. Um, when I worked at NDY, right, as their BMS consultant, I got the impression after a few years, sorry, NDY, for talking about you so much in this podcast, I should have asked you first. <laughs> I got the impression that I was an overhead to their business. What well, that means is, 100%. I bet you if we had 10 consultancies and we looked at their cost, their fee proposal, and there was price there for mechanical consulting, electrical consulting, hydraulics, fire security, blah, 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 blah. And we went to the, the mechanical price, you know, $200,000 consulting fees, million dollar consulting fees, and we expanded that. I don't think we'd find a, a line item that says $50,000 allocated to BMS design. I don't think BMS design is costed by consultancies. I am guessing it's not a fact. No, I can tell you that with 100% yeah. certainty. So like a, a consultancy is not going to employ a BMS engineer to be a consultant because that's an overhead a cost off their bottom line. How do they prove that? It's a problem that, it like you're right. where you work in the market, right? Like the jobs I worked That's on right. were big infrastructure airport jobs. So they had to be on point, right? But if you're building like a, a mid-tier office, that's a different story, right? On cost and approach. I think what happened with me was that, and if you can tell, I'm a bit of a hero. Did you guys work that out yet? But um, when I was working there, you know, South Africans, and if you know them, they're very arrogant. <laughs> I was going to say, what it was is that, I think NDY, what it was is that I was an overhead to their business, perhaps, but their customers really appreciated having a BMS specialist on their projects, like doing heavy BMS witnessing, quality inspections. Yeah. I was at a big hospital once, and I remember I reviewed 100 Siemens BMS technical submissions during the design phase. I reviewed 100 technical submissions. A mechanical consultant could not churn through that many submissions. Uh, no. I did nine days of witnessing. It's like a two-hour drive. Drive down there in the morning, nine days over about three months, signing off the operating theaters, isolation wow. wards, checking everything. So like, you're right. No one's paying for it. It's an overhead. But the value is that the customers were noticing that. When you're doing BMS upgrades, they knew Brass is on the job. He's going to be doing a fortnightly progress meeting, asking the BMS questions, asking his company probing questions, right? But you've got to be quite a big company to fund that. And yeah. that's the problem. And it right. probably begins at the level of Norman Disney. That's why I call a small big company, right? Yeah, when you're like Arab or WSP, you know, you can invade countries, you're so big. It's another level, right? They can carry that cost. But what mm. you're talking about there is there's a cost 
for having certainty to be operationally ready. So if it's a high complex building like a hospital or an airport that has to be operationally ready, the value is easily demonstrated, right? Yeah, you know, like, you know, BMS companies always complain. They're always saying like, oh, like we need more commissioning time. When will the building owner insist that we have commissioning? It's a common complaint that when will somebody else solve our problem? The thing is that at handover, there's 3,000 people coming from those five buildings into this building. They've got nowhere to go. Like they have to move in on Monday. You can't have more time. Yes, we know that you need more time. Yes, you know, the BMS is not operational. It's a mess, but they're coming. The old, you know, the old days, I remember when I was a young commissioning tech, I'd be working away and the builder would be screaming, we need double shifts, we got to finish. I remember thinking, whatever, it takes as long as it takes. I've done this enough times now. This job will finish when it's finished. Those days are over. Yeah. Nowadays, the job finishes on that day. Yeah, really Whether it's working or not, yeah. that's an, another story. Like yeah. there's been jobs where the builder, I worked in a job once, I was a BMS project manager, the builder got offered a million dollars to compress the program. The builder was like, we'll have that. They asked all the trades, all the trades put in fee proposals to run double shifts, day and night shifts. So we had commissioning techs running day and night shifts. At the end of the job, the builder was, April's full. I was just joking. I'm not giving you any money. I'm keeping the million dollars. What are you do about it? Like, you know what I mean? Like this, I don't know. Well, now we're going down an ethical issue of the industry, but like. Anyway, don't get me started on that. <laughs> let's, let's pull you back. I just want to, I want you to put your, your, your hat on here. And look into the future. So I cannot have a meeting with a big client now who doesn't say the word digital twin at me. And in my mind, I'm screaming, I'd just be happy if it worked without that. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you see the collision of this digital twin thing is not going away as far as I can tell. So it's going to emerge in some form or the other. How do you see the collision of BMS, digital twin and project delivery? How do you see that whole thing meshing together and playing out? I'm not sure that that's a question I want to even talk about like thinking about like, your business here, right? Like make no mistake. I'm a supporter of technology. There's yeah. no doubt about it. Like we need, like the technology fills gaps that we need to fill, right? Like a simple example is if a customer comes to you and says, we've got a hundred buildings. We want to get energy efficiency around hundred buildings. So we're going to do control strategy optimization. We're going to download smarter control strategies that the chillers stage better. Like there's yeah. things to do there. There's, we've been in Australia for a long time. Yeah. Have automatic pressure resets. Like, and a hundred buildings, and there's like, say there's like 20 different BMS companies across those buildings. So to try and get 20 different BMS companies that all have different business models, different pricing structure, different experience levels, different motivation to actually do this work, it's like impossible. You know what I mean? To try and coordinate 20 different, it's a very hard job. So there are situations where technology has this bonus of super scalability, where we build this optimization in the cloud, we test it, we push the button, it gets downloaded to hundred buildings, bang. Two months later, we tweak it slightly and it goes down, bang. The exact same code, the same concept across all buildings. That's very interesting and exciting. So even as I'm a BMS purist that thinks that the code should be in the BMS controller because the customer owns the controller, the customer owns that code, they own the IP, there's no subscription service. I think it should be in there. But at the end of the day, there's certain things you can't do at scale with lots of different BMS companies. So I just want to say that I'm a supporter of technology there's a, a place for it. But technology is the cherry on top of the cake. It's not the whole cake. Technology yeah. is the cherry on top of the cake. And, you know, we're, we're convincing owners that technology is the whole cake. And it's not. It's a piece of the puzzle. It's a piece of the damn puzzle. 
if you don't take the BMS company on the journey with you, you know, restructure their maintenance contract and have them aligned with the technology company and all working together, unless you do that, you will not have success. I have like this like 10% thought in my mind, a 10% thought that technology will fizzle away in building services because we're this legacy dumb industry building services. And right now, I'm not convinced and like I could be wrong if there are other people here right now that give really good arguments to this, but I just don't see that there's a, a real return on investment with a lot of this technology stuff. I just don't see the, what, what is the real return on investment, the money that just, I'm paying you $20,000 a year for this application. How much, are you saving me $20,000 a year? Like, are you like, you might not be. So, and the thing also with technology companies is that, again, my personal opinion, I'm really like, you know, putting it out there, right? but yeah. probably not even right. Just food for thought. But technology companies have a, a solution to a problem. Like the owner of the technology company saw a gap in the market that needed a solution and they built a, a platform to solve that problem. Tick in the box, we need that thing half hours. Yeah. But, and they employed like, you know, software programmers and developers and user experience people and machine learning stuff, but they didn't address the issues with how buildings work, how contractors yeah. are engaged. I did a post, I think it was yesterday or this morning, I can't remember. I did a post to say something on LinkedIn. Someone posted, I did a comment that said, technology companies, they tell building owners, if you pay us $20,000 a year, the efficiencies you gain through fault detection, well, you can offset that against reducing the BMS maintenance cost. So obviously, if BMS service technicians don't have to go and check those things, yeah. you can reduce their, their contract cost. Like, good luck going to a BMS company and saying, could you give us a 20% discount to pay for technology? Like, no, we're not doing that. Mr. Customer, we have KPIs to earn more revenue, not earn less revenue. So there's a lot of like things that the technology companies do, like their angle doesn't work. Like, yeah, so that was the first one. You cannot go to Honeywell, a big global corporation, and tell them, we're going to reduce your maintenance contract. Sorry, Honeywell, Honeywell, Siemens, Schneider, Johnson, anybody. You can't go to a BMS company and say, we're going to reduce your maintenance contracts. You're going to lose money. You're not going to hit your KPIs. You're going to get fired. That doesn't work. The other one is that technology companies, they think it's funny. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting a bit distracted here. Technology companies, they try and make BMS companies look as bad as possible. Look, Mr. Customer, we've ran our technology for one hour. We found a hundred faults. Those BMS guys, what have they been doing? They're so rubbish. You should engage us on all of your buildings. And then the building owner can't understand why the service technician won't execute the insights that the technology company is spitting out. Right. So for a technology company to be effective, the BMS company has to be on board with you, not fighting against you. Yeah. So for a technology company, while you're building shiny things and solving problems with technology and data, every technology company has to have a strategy for how to deal with the BMS company. And that strategy really should revolve around working together somehow. Like, you know what I mean? So yeah. what I'm saying here is this digital twin question is that there's fundamental issues in how things happen with people and companies. Not talking about ones and zeros now. We're talking about businesses. And technology companies haven't addressed that problem. And they're steaming forward. The other thing also is BMS companies, as I said to you before, just put, are we okay for time still? Because yeah, yeah, no, I don't even know yeah, if you've yeah, asked yeah. me the first question you're supposed to ask me. You haven't asked me the first question you're supposed to ask me yet. We haven't even started the podcast yet. Just anyway, uh, free range. We're just going to ramble around like three old demented guys. 
You know, with the BMS companies, like when they installed the BMS in construction phase, they installed the absolute bare minimum yeah. because it wasn't specified and there's no time and there's no money, lowest price wins. So when you get a BMS out of a new construction project, it's the most basic thing it can be to get the job over the line with very poor scoping and not much money. So that's the first thing to understand, right? You're not getting anywhere near what this thing could do. So a lot of my angle is that a lot of the stuff that's going into the cloud could easily be provided by the BMS system. Like we could have highly engaging visualization of graphics. We could do that. Yeah. We just don't do that. If you go to a building that's 20 years old, you go to a 20 year old BMS building, you look at the graphics. They are very similar to the graphics nowadays. When I do a BMS upgrade, I go to a site and I take a photo of every single graphic because a photo is faster than a screen share. So I'll collect about two, 300 photos on my first day of my survey. And I have these graphics from 20 years ago. And then six months later, when you're doing reviewing graphic submissions from BMS company, it's exactly the same thing. There's the 3D AHU, supply fan, return fan, three economy dampers, heating, cooling <laughs> valve, supply temperature, pressure, set points. The graphic looks cleaner. It's a nicer looking graphic. The color palette is nicer and thumbs something spin. Thank God. <laughs> but the actual visualization of that data didn't change. Like no. We could visualize that data 10 times better. So my view is, yeah. let's get the BMS to do the best it can do. Like, you won't believe. I'm telling you, we could do another session on what it can do, right? And then use technology to fill the gaps. That's what we should be doing. We should mm -hmm. begin the BMS because the customer owns the BMS server. The customer owns the BMS application. They own the BMS controllers, the networks, everything. They own everything. Why rebuild all that somewhere else? And the second thing is, the service technicians already come into site. You're paying them $150,000 a year to come to site for one day a week. The technician is coming to site. You're paying them already. Just get them to do high value activities, optimization, energy enhancements. Yeah. Stop walking around looking for broken things. We have the infrastructure in place. So with digital twin, like I'm not an expert in digital twins. So I don't want to get too into that. I know what it is sort of conceptually, but I just think that we should be investing in what we have already. And then use that other stuff to sort of improve on it, wrap it all up. If BMS companies, if we did a, a meeting, yeah, we had say 2000 BMS technicians on a call, right? And we just started doing some massive coordination. Now, I'm going to exaggerate my point here and I apologize in advance, but just as a concept, an idea, I reckon if we coordinated all the BMS companies in the world and all their service departments, we would shut down the whole market of technology or 50% of it because most technology companies exist to solve a problem that the BMS company failed at, energy management systems, building analytics, and visualization. Now, I'm not being a mean person here. I'm not trying to like try to be mean to technology companies, but if you're a technology company and you're listening to this, in my opinion, and I'm being pretty extreme here, right? I'm not being conservative, but if you're a technology company, you need to be aware that the BMS industry could shut down your market if they just tried a little bit. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of big messages in there. And I think Adam, you and I have talked about this over the last five years or so with regards to technology. But I wanted to take what our past discussions just and just mention something here, Bryce, is that is that let's just take thermostats, for example. The manufacturers and they know who they are, the technology companies that are producing these things, have gone into the market and have promised the world in terms of we're going to improve your comfort, we're going to reduce your energy, blah, blah, blah not understanding that the problem isn't the thermostat, that it's the building. Yes. Right? And so the BMS companies 
you're right. If they, everybody got together and said, okay, look, we can actually solve these problems because we actually have a more intimate knowledge of the building, that's the word building management system, than the technology <laughs> companies. You know what I'm saying? And so you're right. And there's a big message in there. It's There could be a, a very real threat to the technology companies. On the other hand, if the technology companies are listening, they would start to learn what they should be doing. Technology in itself is not a solution unless it actually solves a problem. And most of the problems that we have with with building today is, in fact, the building itself. Can can I just jump in quickly? Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of slightly exaggerate something, and this is gonna be a generalization. It doesn't apply to all companies, right? But generally, this is what happens: if the three of us join a BMS company tomorrow. They will train us on their products, how to write software code, how to build database, how to draw graphics, alarms, trends, how to use their tools, how to use their products. They will train us on that. Yeah. Generally, BMS companies are not training their staff on how to design a BMS, how to commission a BMS, how to project manage a BMS, how to service a BMS. Yeah. All those soft skills around the product, they're not actually specifically training on that. BMS companies are not training their engineers on how to be optimization specialists, chiller staging specialists. Now, when a service technician rolls into site on Monday morning, they weren't specifically trained on exactly what they should do when they get there. They were taught that if that controller's failed, how to replace the control, the new one or the new program. And right. if that points offline, how to fix that. If the server blows up, how to fix that. They get taught that. But And that was okay 20, 30 years ago when customers had very low expectations. When I was a service technician in 2002, 2003, 2004, you know, all we cared about was comfort control. Didn't care at all about energy efficiency, what power cost. We didn't have a hundred variable speed drives, hundreds of electric meters, integrations to fire panels, generators. Like we didn't care about energy. Like it was so firewalls, cybersecurity. Like the thing is very complicated. And it's like 20 years later, like product training alone is not enough. These problems aren't getting solved because the project managers, the design engineers, and the, and the service technicians, they don't know other stuff that's important. I always say like, BMS companies are not training their staff on advanced topics. A project manager knows how to order materials and put together a project program and organize their resources, go to meetings, do meeting minutes. They know how to do that, but they're not taught how to look up ahead six months and solve that problem now because it's going to happen. Yeah. Like, Build the thing differently, design the thing differently, do things differently. They're not trained in doing that. Generally, as I'm generalizing, generalizing, there are good people out there, but like there's less of them. What we've actually been talking about for the last 30 minutes, 45 minutes, runs through other veins of the industry. And I'll just give an example in academia where you have professors encouraging their students to do research work. And the research work, and again, this is like, again, like yourself, this is a general statement, and it's all good. The research that comes out of the universities is good stuff. But the information that comes out doesn't actually solve the problem. It just explores more detail of the problems that exist. Yes. And so I'll, I'll give you an example of this in the world of thermal comfort. So I sit on ASHRAE Standard 55, SSPCC, and we are responsible for writing that standard. And part of that is doing research work. Yeah, and you guys are on LinkedIn. And, you know, like it's getting more like where there's probably two, three papers a week that are coming out on thermal comfort. And it's the students and the professors that are diving deep down the rabbit holes. And they're coming up with, some of them are coming up with technology solutions. Like if you do this, wearable sensors is going to solve the thermal comfort problem, right? Blah, blah, blah. And I always have to keep bringing them back that, listen, less than 1% of practitioners can actually do a compliance test to standard 55. 
You can keep adding all this shit onto the knowledge base, yeah. but the problem is, is that we only have 1% of the people doing it anyway. So the problem is not the knowledge. The problem is to actually get people to actually apply what we know now with what we know, not keep adding stuff to it. And so actually what they're doing is they're making the problem more complex and less and less people will actually look at it. They'll yeah. go, it's just, you know what, too much. I can't deal with it. I think you sort of touched on this before, sort of in a way, it's like if we just got the building to work properly the way it's designed to work, we have half our problems would be solved. <laughs> absolutely. More than half, if you ask me. Yeah, more than half, absolutely. Yeah. Lighting is solved, sound is pro solved, indoor air quality is solved, thermal comfort is solved. Basically, all the sensory systems of the human body can be resolved with like 80% of the building can take care of that. Absolutely right. Listen, we're, we're coming up on time. We normally finish with two sort of short-form questions. So I'll start. So I'm a money whore. Economics amuse me. I've had 40 <laughs> years in this business, and uh, I realize I should have gone into Wall Street maybe. But anyway, so what you've just described here is a chronic mismatch in supply and demand. There's a great demand for real skilled, knowledgeable people, and there is a horrendous shortage. So do you see the remuneration, the salaries and the fees for BMS consultants going through the roof? First of all, I think no, because BMS consultants don't earn as much money, I think, as people think they do. So if you're a BMS engineer and this consultant walks in, whoa, this consultant wrote the specification, oh my God, look at that person, amazing. They might earn less than the BMS engineer. So first things first is consultants don't necessarily earn a lot of money. The second thing is, which is not quite your question, but I think that all this net zero stuff and this idea like governments, they sign up to net zero, like it's easy. They just sign up to net zero. They don't know how they're going to do it, like probably. I'm pretty sure that governments will enforce that responsibility onto industry. So yeah. I think that would have happened. I'm just making this up. I'm just not my area of expertise, but yeah. just listening to people talk. I think that these buildings, commercial buildings, will get like a carbon credit. If you go over that carbon, you get penalized. Yeah. That's what they'll do probably, something like, something like that. So if you can position yourself, whether you're a consultant or a, a designer or a contractor, if you can position yourself as an expert that knows how to save energy in buildings, you are going to be a hero that can demand whatever salary you want. Yeah. If this building is going to see this carbon credit and they're going to get penalized, from a BMS point of view, for example, you know how to do like advanced control strategy optimization, yeah. energy efficiency, and get the most out of the cooling towers and the chillers. And I think you could demand whatever you want your salary to be. I have this idea that, you know, like traditionally doctors and lawyers, these are the people we look up to, like doctors and lawyers and that sort of stuff. But I think that we are going to be the future of high doctor, wait, doctor, anybody can be a doctor. What are they doing? We can save energy in buildings. And I have this little story. When I do my training courses for the BMS service technicians, I tell them a story about how the plan is to build billions of electric cars and solar panels and wind farms. What does it cost to build those things and the infrastructure behind it? BMS engineers, they take this thing. It's called a keyboard. You tap on this thing and pumps slow down and fans slow down. You just tap on it like that. I'm not going to do it now because so I'll probably close my window. <laughs> we can save energy in buildings with no investment. Yeah. The tech's going there already. He's going to go in there. So like my view is that I think that the Sarah, anything you want it to be, anything you want it to be. I also had a video recently about that I think the way we sort of procure people for projects will change. Did you guys watch that? I'll be very uh, offended. No, I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah. I mean, I believe you should, superstars should be bought the same way football players are bought. Then that way you value them and use them well. Yeah, so the three of us, we're going to upgrade this BMS. We're going to go in as a super team. Yeah. You're a specialist in this, this, and this. We're not procuring the team the same way. In the video, I use yeah. this example of putting together a special forces team to do a specific task. 
and we build these teams. So I think that if we change the way that we procure resources, people, you can earn whatever you want. So yeah. the answer I think is no, they won't earn more money if they carry on the way that we are, but we can, we can shift the procurement model. Like I, I reckon if I saw an advert for an engineering manager for a company, I reckon I've got that job if I apply for it. Now, yeah. not being this is brass, this is arrogant brass born in Durban, South Africa coming through again, but like who's going to beat me in a job as an engineering manager? Yeah. I feel almost embarrassed saying that. My wife will be saying, Brass, don't say that. She always says to me, I walk out of the meeting, my <laughs> wife says, Brass, don't say it. It's embarrassing. You're embarrassing me. Don't say that. Anyway, <laughs> but I'm going to get that job and I'll go into that interview and say, listen, by the way, this is how much money I want. I'm working from home and I want that car on that cell phone. Take it or leave it. And yeah. I'll probably get that job. So yeah, like, yeah, they can, we can earn anything we want. We're just doing dumb things. Say you're a software programmer. Yeah. It's quite a low level sort of job. You're a software programmer. You're not a big fish in the company. But if you're a software programmer and a software programmer, what they do is they just focus on writing code, the best code they can. But if that software programmer starts to think about, hang on a sec, how many hours are allowed in the, in the fee proposal for engineering? Let me manage my time. And if I can prove that I can always deliver the software engineering phase or the design phase in like 10% less time and generate more profit for my company, I'm going to get jobs as a software engineer. I go for an interview at some company. Listen here, by the way, guys, the last 10 jobs I did, here's a little spreadsheet. Look at this. These are the last 10 jobs I did. That was the allowed amount of engineering hours. This is how long I spent. I generated this much additional dollars on my projects, which totals, I saved the company $55,000 every year on efficiencies through engineering. You're going to get that job and they're going to pay you for that. Like, you know what I mean? Like we just individuals are not promoting themselves or thinking about how do I raise my personal brand? Yeah. I was a project manager for Johnson Controls in Australia. And I'm not lying. I did 33 projects, 33 projects. I was the project manager and the design engineer, two roles. At one point, I'm not joking. I generated an additional $100,000 of pure profit and cash above and beyond all my target margins in the bank. And every month, the branch manager would steal some of it to prop up other jobs. So I go for a job at a BMS company. I said, listen, I'm a project manager. And by the way, this I did this. They're going to give me that job. And I'm going to tell them how much money I want for that. But we don't think like that as staff members. We don't think about... You've got to yeah. ask for what your value is, but you've got to be able to back yeah. that up, right? That's the key. Yeah. So Bryce, my question up, is, yeah. you, let's just say you're like this oracle in space, you know? And uh, somehow you find the, the wormhole that goes into back into time, you know, 50 years in the past. And you show up through the wormhole on your horse with this like golden angel head around you. And there's, you know, the world of building code and engineers and building managers are there. And you've got words of wisdom from the future. And your words. You told me when I asked me that question for a start. I would have loved to have known that question. <laughs> What do you tell the past to prevent what happened in the future? Because that's where we are today. What do you tell them? There's probably a million things. But one of the things <laughs> that I sometimes think about is, you know, sometimes manufacturers call me and say, Brass, we can't win a job because, you know, like we're too expensive. We can't win a job. And I say to them, you know how that is? Because you're tendering to be specification compliant and no one else's. <laughs> so the first thing I saw would say to people was that, I wish I could think about this more carefully because there's probably like much better answers, but... If we're a BMS company and there's a tender out there, okay, there's a few things coming to mind here. And like, as I said before, you, you take that intent 
and you develop your own solution. It annoys me that BMS companies build the wrong thing because it was specified, right? So like you could win jobs by, you don't have to be specification compliance sort of, you know what I mean? Like depends on how the, in Australia, we have a very unique situation. Like this is going to blow your mind this. In Australia, the consultant works for the developer and produces a design that's in yeah. fit for purpose for the customer. In Australia, when designer construct model, what happens is when they engage the builder, the head contractor, the consultant is novated from the owner to under the builder. So the builder is now the customer of the consultant, not the client. And yeah. the builder has different priorities. I have so many times been forced into signing off non-compliance because my customer is now the head contractor, not the client. Lots of times that happens. So the, the situation, if you're a BMS company, like understand like the food chain and who makes the decisions. We have the ability to do things differently and sort of massage the outcome, but we don't do that. That's one thing. There was another thing that popped in my mind there a second ago. I forgot what it was already. I'm also quite old. I wish I could remember. It was such a clever thing to say. I was going to be very proud of myself. Now I forgot what it was. Anyway, <laughs> a million things, a million. Yeah. I think one of, the, one of the things about taking your sort of your response to my question about uh, not bidding what was actually specified, like looking at what the intent is and building that. But in many ways, and, and I agree with that actually, but without boundaries around that, process, then you end up with this uh, kaleidoscope of solutions. Like and it's not perfect. I sort of made that up. But let me give you just a quick thing. When I look at LinkedIn, the photographs that people put on LinkedIn, you can sort of work out what's going on in different parts of the world. Like in the US, I look at these photographs of control panels and there's like 15, 20 millimeter steel conduits coming in there. Oh, yeah, steel nice. conduits? In Australia, we have like a 50 millimeter, 50 by 50 square bit of trunking that comes down the limit and all the cables are in there. We have plastic conduit on all of our AHUs. I have an opinion that a BMS company in the US could not win a job in Australia. Not a chance. And in many situations, yeah. it's because the US, you're probably doing it better. It's a better quality of install, but days have moved on. Times have moved on. Like there's, there's perfect quality and there's sort of like fit for purpose. So there's a lot of such, I have this idea that like, how the hell does it happen after 30 years that everyone is doing different things? Why aren't we all doing the most optimized thing? Like another quick example, not to get too deep into this. In Australia, our VAV boxes, we run a BACnet MSTP screened comms cable to all the VAVs. At the same time, we pull in a 1.5 millimeter daisy chain, 24 volts AC power supply. We don't run a main supply with a transformer. We have the 24 volts as daisy chain. I'm pretty sure in the US, could be wrong, you guys run mains power and there's a little transformer circuit breaker at the VAV box or at the fan corner. Like, right, and it would be a completely separate contractor. Yeah, and it's great because yeah. if one power supply fails, you lose power to one thing. Yeah. You start analyzing the cost to install that versus the risk. So we have one big transformer in the riser and one 24 volts daisy chain pull through. There are so many advantages to that because you can temporarily power up that transformer and power up the VAV controllers a month before mains voltage is even approved to be turned on, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I look at this, I think like, why are we all not just doing the most optimized thing? The US engineers say like, Bryce, that sounds great, but the specification says we've got to do it like this. That's a problem, right? To be solved. But we could solve that problem, but just... I don't understand how like we do things so differently. That's if uh, I take, like well, if I go back in time, I try and coordinate that. Yeah. Part of it is a cultural thing in the U.S. And this is talk about uh, South Africa and the self patting on the back. Well, Americans are worse, <laughs> and Canada is oh, yeah. the same as Americans, but we're more humble about it. 
And that is, is that if it wasn't, the combined population of the Canada and United States is less than 5% of the world. But if you were from Canada and the United States, you would never know that. Like you would think we are in fact the center of the universe. And <laughs> one, of the, one of the problems that we have is that we think if it hasn't been invented here, it was never invented. Yeah, right. Yeah. And as a 5% of the world's population where we think everything begins and ends here, help us. <laughs> yeah, what, what you're seeing there, Bryce, that, so that, that still conduit everywhere, that's a union thing. The only way you're getting rid of that is if you've got to knock off Tony Soprano. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of things yeah. that we could be doing different yeah. if we would just say, you know what, like, let's yeah. just pay attention to what other people in parts of the world are doing and model them. And that's not just that's and what you've given is one example. There are so many yeah. examples like, thousands. like that. Yeah. You know, like this just quickly, I don't want to like start a whole new discussion that it wasn't supposed to start, but like Adam, the union thing, right? So in Australia, the the state of Victoria where I live, we have quite a strong union presence compared to other states. It's a bit yeah. weird, right? And we wanted to temporarily power up our control panels to start commissioning things before the, the, the plant room was ready. But the yeah. union was like, you are not turning that panel on until the plant room's finished. So we're like, okay, well, wh what about this? What if I take the all the mains voltage, 240 volts for us, and I put in a separate box next to the control panel? So here's the control panel. There's only 24 volts AC in here. And in that other box next to it, a meter away is a lock box with the transformers and circuit breakers. Now, will let me temporarily power up a panel that only has 24 volts AC and there's no mains voltage? And like the union rep would be like, mm, like, okay, like that could work. You know what I mean? So you sort of work with the union. What do you have to have in place to let us turn the power on? And there's things like, um, normally, sorry guys, we're sort of going, should we be saying this? Like, normally we have one big fat control panel in the plant room, maybe next to the mechanical switchboard, and it's a centralized control system. Yeah. So to power up that one panel, you got to power up everything. So then we're like, okay, why don't we distribute the control panels? Let me put a small panel on every AHU. One small panel, one control, just distribute the controls from the central panel, distribute them. So now, Mr. Union Rep, I'm only going to power up this AHU. I'll put a barrier around here, and I'm only powering up to 24 volts AC with this UPS. I'm not going to put the mains on. And the union guy's like, I don't like that, but I suppose you can do that. You can do that. So this is idea where, valid point, the union wants something. No, let's solve that problem. Let's change how we design and install the BMS completely differently to solve the union's problem so it can power up three months early. would never happen in the US, what you just described. There's more chance the Queen of England coming and cleaning your car than that happening in the US, what you just described. But the thing is that but when you tell the head contractor that you're going to finish the building three months earlier, now the head contractor saying, listen, union rep, I know that you're independent, blah, blah, blah. They're like, I know what you're saying, but I'm telling you now, that, that, might, be, that might be an extreme difficult example. Yeah. Okay, maybe it is. But yeah. that's an that's example of is the big one, right? Because uh, there's a lot more regulations around it. But yeah, I mean that's probably a subject of another another podcast, electrical yeah. commissioning, because that really does differ country to country. But the point is, yeah, we have problems and we've learned to accept them. We're like a robust, resilient industry. We get beaten on the head every job. We just we just put up with it. We yeah. do it again next time. But I'm telling you now, a lot of our issues, big problems, can be solved. We're just not stopping to try and solve them. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, mate, we better wrap up now. So listen, thank thanks, Bryce. Yeah, it was great sharing your chat with you. Yeah, yeah. I'm a I'm a fan of your YouTube channel, and I yeah, shall like subscribe to the show notes. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on, man. It's all good. All right, guys, have a good one. Bye, bye. The edifice complex will continue in just a moment. Are you passionate about the built environment? 
Do you want to learn from the industry's most inspiring, intelligent, and accomplished professionals? Then the companion to this podcast, Wisdom of the Property Crowd, is just the book for you. From Edifice Complex Podcast Interviews, this book distills the critical thinking, insight, and ideas of some of the property industry's most accomplished and respected practitioners. Each chapter is a synopsis of an hour-plus interview, capturing the takeaways and insights, including diagrams and images, to help explain concepts and ideas. There's also a brief bio about the interviewee and a QR code linked to the podcast episode for those that want to explore further. These are the mentors you wish you had in college. Wisdom of the Property Crowd by Adam Muggleton. Available on Amazon worldwide. And now, back to the show. <laughs> show notes. You know that book you had there? Like the notepad? Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't have a copy. Well, you know where it is. It's actually under my computer. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah, see that? Exactly. That's what I was looking for when I wanted to do this show because, I mean, I was taking notes the whole time. Bryce... It's like the, what's the thing where you wind up and then the thing pops out? You know what Bryce is, right? He is an intellectual BMS engineer. Yeah. like right? He's deep. Yeah. They're not normally like that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> right. And he actually yeah, understands he, engineering and consulting. That's a rare beast, that skill set. Yeah, I, I love the fact that he had the kahunas enough to mid-game say, look, at the where I need to be is actually teaching BMS companies and yeah. stop working on buildings and their yeah. BMS systems. That's a bold move, and I hope it works out for him. Like I really yeah. do. I hope he finds that reward that he's looking for, not only in terms of the financial reward, but he's also looking for that hero reward that you leave something behind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, where the Australian government, I worked in Australia for a year, and I'm sort of keeping touch with what's going on down there. I just like the place. And they are, the Australian government, how can I describe it, is very assertive with legislation. When they decide they're doing something, there's no like, that was in four. Just like you know what, boys, you're gonna start right paying carbon tax. You're gonna. It's, you know, it's true, right? It's <laughs> so true. If they go down that route, I think that would be his angle, as he was alluding to there. You know, if they really, yeah. at the moment, they don't. They design for compliance, right? So if the compliance becomes like, you know what, it's going to be this efficient. It's going to have this carbon footprint. That's where he will start to win. Yep, absolutely. Wow, oh, man, we could have a whole discussion about that. Well, that was one of the things that when I left Australia that I really appreciate was the fact that they don't pussyfoot around stuff. No, no. Like, then they have zero tolerance for a lot of the social special interest groups that, that is in other countries. Like, no, no, no. Lobby groups well down there. It's just like, dude, are you in or out? You know I mean? <laughs> exactly. And there is a lot of benefits to that. But going back to Bryce, the things that I, there was a couple of points you made. One of them has to do with, the problem with you not winning the projects is you're bidding as per the spec <laughs> rather than the intent. There's a lot to be said about that. I remember like lots of projects and I've been on both sides of the coin, yeah. right? Where, where we're supplying stuff and where we're engineering stuff. And I'm glad I went through as a tradesperson first, then got into the business side, then got into the distribution side, then the manufacturing side, and then the engineering side. I'm glad I got to go through that because when you're bidding a tender and you're looking at the specification with a critical eye, you're going like, we could do this so much better and yeah. for a lot less money and a little bit more, way more optimized, but you can't because that's what the engineer specified. That's commercial suicide, what you just described. <laughs> it, it is, <laughs> so. right? And so the whole design intent, like looking at what is it, are you trying to do 
And then the whole part about 100% design and construct. So when you take responsibility for design and building it, we did that with our business before I sold it um, to the Danish company and uh, started my engineering company is that we did the design build on these substations, these district energy substations. And it was a lot net price. Like if the distribution chain came to us and said, well, we want to know what you're charging for the pump or the, or the pressure gauge, or it was like, no, no, like we did all the engineering work. We're doing, we did everything on this project. We put in the time. This is our price. If you don't like it, too bad. Yeah. Right. So the design, 100% design construct. And for us, like that was magic. We had, when I think about, like you think of the dollar value of a design construct project and the same value in supplying parts only and letting somebody else put it all together. Oh my God. The parasitic losses on our profit yeah. when somebody else took the shit and put it together versus us doing it, not even the same business model, like not even in the same business park, right? I tell you what you said that was really prophetic and just so on point was the technology companies, you know, as he says, they go in, they install, and then they come up with this defects list and they go, the BMS guys aren't doing you, fire them, right? But what yeah. he was right with is, the technology companies don't know what they don't know. They don't understand building systems. They don't understand buildings. So right. it's all very well putting up a punch list. Any asshole can do that. Understanding what that means and why it's that way is the key. And that's what the BMS people have, right? And that somehow them two sides have to mush together to make this even work remotely going forward. I don't know how that works because the reason Elon Musk and Google and Microsoft haven't solved this problem it's because they have no clue about building engineering and systems and buildings. Very true. And Very they don't true. want to because that's you can't do that at scale, right? This is yeah. a problem. They will only solve billion-dollar problems at scale. This is a billion-dollar, multi-billion-dollar problem, but it cannot be addressed at scale. He made another statement that I really like, and that is technology is just the cherry. It's not the cake. Yes. And that's a problem with a lot of people. And again, like, like again, for the professors and the students listening to this, yeah. I got to tell you, like you can come up with all of the wearable shit and you can come up with all the fancy technology and all the different algorithms and you can just keep writing paper after paper after paper. But if the window to wall ratio is 100% and it's got no solar gain coatings on it and it's facing south or southwest, there ain't no technology in the world is that going to prevent that overheating. No. I don't care if you're Nest, I don't care if you're Johnson, if you're Honeywell, if you're the next control manufacturer that's coming in from Saturn. I don't give a rat's ass. The problem is not the controls, it's not the technology, it's the freaking building. It's the And that's, therein lies the problem, right? Because that's yeah. where the corners are all cut, the designs are half-baked. This is yeah. where I still have some hope for modular homes, but done right. at, at a high-end they don't have to be horrible, right? They can right. still be mass-produced and be high-end and delivered, almost working, right? Either you, know, you put them down a pad, power them up, water them up, boom, done. And how much technology do you need in them? You can have as much or as little as you want, right? Well, if you think about it, one of the reasons why technology has sort of been allowed to be fertilized within the building industry yeah. is because we've failed to fix the problems. Yes. So people are going, well, if the building industry isn't going to fix the architecture, like if architects aren't going to fix the architecture and the clients aren't going to tell the architects to fix the architecture, then we have to come up with a solution. So the solution, the only thing that we have is technology because it seems to fix other shit. Well, you know, that's a dangerous... Right? Technology that's a is dangerous. just more cowbell. 
I'm going to take the shit out of this cowbell. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, yeah, we should probably uh, wrap know, it up there. That's a mic drop, the cowbell. Just <laughs> it is. That was perfect. <laughs> a hey, cowbell man. moment. You've been listening to the Edifice Complex podcast with Adam Muggleton and Robert Bean. To access show notes for this episode, visit edificecomplexpodcast.com. Also, if you would like Robert or Adam to speak, teach, or consult on your project or business, please email admin at edificecomplexpodcast.com. See you next time.